your four-year-old can discover the joy of learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Listen, uncomplicate the way you do pre-K. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Hello there and welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, I'm going to reply to just a few messages that I've had on Patreon. There's been a few little comments on uh, different things and, um, you know, I find it quite hard sometimes to get back to you guys on Patreon because it comes through as an email. Sometimes the emails don't come through. Sometimes they disappear into spam and I've just logged on and noticed a few um, things that have been put on there so one of the uh, more recent comments was obviously someone saying they wanted to learn a little bit more about Henry VIII um, and what made him so powerful um, now they did put on there what lands he conquered etc now he actually didn't conquer very much um, he was not really on the grand scheme of things he didn't really do that much he wasn't really that great of a king Um he was just well known for obviously being, you know, the the main Tudor king, the second in line or the second Tudor king, so therefore more famous than his father. Um, and again, he's more famous for the fact that he reformed the church and the fact that he had six wives. So actually, what he did um, wasn't really that uh, that interesting. You know, there, I mean, obviously the last episode was a bit of an overview and it sort of skirted along the lines of things and, and rather than go into too much detail. Now, um, there were a couple of wars in France, uh, one of which uh, he won, managed to take the, the town of Boulogne, um, and then one he lost um, and lost the town. So it was, you know, he wasn't really this great warrior king that, uh, you know, you would all, almost be portrayed as. Um, so that kind of answers that question um i can look into doing a little bit more detail on people like cardinal wolsey um Anne Boleyn, people like that are very very interesting so that might be something to to look at in the future another comment i had actually dates back to the 2021 episode so it was a bit of time ago and uh she put you forgot betty white now i'll be honest with you being english I had no idea who Betty White was. And I know there's going to be Americans now gasping because I've looked at who she is, done a bit of research. She's pretty famous. But in England, 
no idea who she was absolutely no idea obviously she passed away on new year's eve 2021 so uh, a little bit of a shout out there and i do apologize for for missing that out um i did miss out a few other things from the 2021 episode um it was kind of rushed to get it through because I, I know I had uh, had had a few weeks of not recording. But this week, ladies and gentlemen, we are into episode ninety. So we've been going now a long time. We've been this uh, this podcast actually been going over two years now. Um, so thank you, thank you very much for all you listeners out there who keep me going and and keep me. Uh, keep me recording this every week you know i enjoy doing this as much as you guys enjoy listening this week we are covering a very very weird story and a story that you may not actually believe it's a story about vampires and this might be one way you're thinking oh here we go he's doing something a bit you know not not actually historically accurate well this story is about a lady called elizabeth bathory now, she was a Hungarian serial killer. Now, she was born on the 7th of August, 1560, and died the 21st of August, 1614, at 54 years old. Now, the reason this story is so interesting is she was one of the inspirations behind Dracula um, and many, many popular um, vi- Viking, sorry, many, many popular vampire movies and events and things like that throughout history since then. She was alleged to have killed anything up to 650 victims. And what makes this story so interesting is she was actually a countess. So she was a noblewoman. She was definitely quite an important person. She was born, like I said, in 1560 on a family estate in, ooh, going to try and pronounce that name, near, near Bator in Royal Hungary. She spent her childhood at Exed Castle. Exed, Exed Castle. Sorry, my pronunciations of Hungarian words are not that great. Um, her father was Baron George VI of Bathory. The from the Essed branch of the family. Her mother was Baroness Anna Bathory, daughter of Stephen uh, from Transylvania. So again, this is where you get your, your vampire sort of links there into Transylvania. Through her mother, Elizabeth was the niece of Hungarian noble Stephen Bathory, the King of Poland, the Grand Duke of Lithuania, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and Prince of Transylvania. Her older brother, Stephen Bathory, served as Judge Royal of Hungary. So this gives you a little bit of an idea of how this woman, you know, where she was in society. She was a very famous woman at the time. She was a noble woman. Probably not the type of person you would assume is murdering anything up to 600 people. As a child, Elizabeth suffered multiple seizures that may have caused epilepsy. And at the time, the symptoms relating to epilepsy were diagnosed as the falling sickness. Treatments of this included rubbing blood of a non-sufferer on the lips of an epileptic or giving the epileptic a mix of the non-sufferer's blood 
and pieces of skulls. So, a very weird treatment, but again, this is a treatment that she had from a very, very young age. So, the taste of blood, the thought of blood being rubbed onto her skin, the having pieces of skull handed to her as as like a treatment it, it was common procedure um it sounds so messed up when you say it but for someone who's brought up in that sort of a childhood where they have this as a treatment it's sort of ingrained into their society now elizabeth had, there are a few theories as to why she became such a a sadistic murderer at a later age and one of these is due to um, the treatment she received as a child um, in that sense rather than and in any other sense um, and there were stories where she witnessed uh, brutal punishments um, executions that were done by her family um, being taught family members were involved with satanism and witchcraft um, there are a lot of claims but again the thing with this story is it's sort of been swept from history it's a, a part of hungarian history that they don't really want to talk about so the evidence on this is very circumstantial there is a lot about this story that um is is i would say argued by historians as to whether it's factually correct or not but we'll deal with what I've researched and if anybody hears anything and says well actually no that didn't happen or, or whatever that that's from a different different story and a different uh, way of researching so what I've researched is potentially slightly different to what someone else would research and and like I said this is due to the fact that, that there is no real substantial evidence um, about Elizabeth Bathory I mean they, they say for example um, the murders are anything between 80 and 650 so there is a big big vast um, number there that, that we can look at um, Bathory was raised a Calvinist Protestant so she was part of the change from Catholic uh, Catholicism in Europe um, she was around that time where Europe was starting to become split into two so the Germanic um, and the Italian types of, of, of religion so um, the Protestant religion was was strong in Hungary and, and very strong in the East, and that's that's what she learnt. Um, she was very well educated. She learnt Latin, German, Hungarian, and Greek, and obviously she was endowed with wealth, education, and a very good social rank, which put her in good stead for the rest of her life. Now, at the age of thirteen, before her first marriage, Elizabeth allegedly gave birth to a child. The child was said to have been fathered by a peasant boy and was supposedly given away to a local woman who was trusted by the Bathory family. The woman was paid for uh, for her actions of looking after the child and the child was taken to Wallachia. Evidence of this pregnancy came up long after Elizabeth's death, though rumours spread by peasants validated the rumour even though this evidence again is is disputed you know there's no real there's no real proof of any of this um it, it's just there there seems to be more leaning towards certain stories that that were acceptable or that have been written down throughout history now in 1573 
Bathory was engaged to Count Nadasi, a member of the Nadasi family, uh, in what was probably a political arrangement. It wasn't, you know, and, and a lot of times in this era, the aristocracy would marry um, for an alliance and, and for a political gain rather than um, for anything else. People very rarely, very rarely married for love. Um, they were married in Vranov um, in Hungary on the 8th of May uh, 1575 and the Dassi's gift to Bathory was the household, the castle of Sejeti. Okay, now this was such situated in the little Carpathians uh, near uh, a village. <laughs> modern day uh, Nove Mestro um, I'm not going to try and pronounce but it was in Slovakia um, anyone wants to, to try and get it it's uh, Vag Ujele in Trenson uh, there we go anyone who uh, if, whether that's pronounced right or not um, the castle had been bought by his mother in 1569 and given to Nadasi who transferred it to Elizabeth during their nuptials now that's a pretty good present getting a castle for your for your wedding together with the suggestory county house and 17 adjacent villages so not only was she born into a noble family she now has her own state estate and her own land to rule over in 1578 nadasi became chief commander of the hungarian troops leading them to war against the ottomans with her husband away at war, Bathory managed business affairs and the estates. This role included responsibility for the Hungarian and Slovak people, providing medical care during the long war. Now, this war was from 1593 to 1606. Okay, so it was a long, long time to be fighting. And Bathory was charged with the defence of her husband's estate, which lay en route to Vienna. The threat of attack there was significant for the village of Sajeti uh, had been previously plundered by the Ottomans. So it was a known route that the Ottomans would have taken. It was a known route where if they were to attack Hungary and Slovakia and, and make their way down to Vienna and, and Italy, this is the way they would go. So her castle or her lands were situated on a very prominent attack route by the Ottomans and, and a place where she really had to do quite a lot of work to, to sustain it and to make sure that if they were ever to break through the, the lines of the army that her her castle would stand, uh, stand a siege or stand the Ottomans coming through. There were several incidences where Bathory intervened on behalf of destitute women, including a woman whose husband was captured by the Ottomans and a woman whose daughter was raped and impregnated. So she brought these women into her protection and she looked after them. Bathory's daughter, Anna Nasadi, Nadasi, sorry, was born in 1585 and was later to become the wife of Nicola the Nicola the sixth of Zrinsky. Bathory's other known children uh, include Orisaka Nadasi, who was born in fifteen ninety, um, 
Catherine or Katerina uh, in in fifteen ninety four, Andreas in fifteen ninety six, and Paul or Pal in fifteen ninety eight. So she had a few children. She had a, I would say a quite a, a normal life for a, a woman in that sort of a, a situation. They were known for having quite a lot of children. The noble women were there to basically to breed. They were there to make sure that the line and the dynasty carried on. Some chronicles, so other historians have indicated that the couple may have had another son uh, by the name of Mikolos. Uh, again, not something that can be confirmed. It could have been a, a cousin or just simply someone that she took under her wing. It, it, there's no real evidence to suggest that she was uh, she ever gave birth to another another child um there was another one that that potentially um she gave birth to which was called gregory or gregory um again it's so shady when you're looking at this type of history to actually find out what is what is right and what is wrong now obviously we have some that are, some children are obviously confirmed which are the ones earlier but these two are not confirmed um and again there are potentials that she had had a few uh, miscarriages or stillbirths as well um which again was not very uncommon in these times you know it was around 50% of women uh, died during childbirth around 50% of pregnancies were miscarriage or stillbirth so the the potential of of having stillbirths and things like that was was pretty high so i would say on a historical basis we could pretty pretty much assume that that was the case here as well now her husband Fernek Nadasi died on the 4th of January 1604 at the age of 48. Although the exact nature of his illness which led to his death is unknown, it seems to have started around three years previous to that uh, and started with a bit of leg pain and from time that he never recovered and he was permanently disabled in 1603. We don't know exactly what killed him. It could have been anything. Could have been an infested wound, an infection, cancer, something that takes a few years to kill someone. Um, there was no real evidence. There's no real medical history of that to to understand why this happened. Um, but he died. Um, they'd actually been married for 29 years at this point. Okay, so they had a really, really long marriage for that time. Um, and he entrusted his heirs and widow to Gregory Thuzo. Okay, so this is what happened is when they when a nobleman died, they would entrust the family heirlooms and things like that, the the wife and children to another nobleman. Um and Gregory was actually the man who investigated Bathory's crimes at a later date. Now this seems like quite a normal person normal life you know quite a quite a happy woman i would say in in all tents and purposes and you wonder where she gets this reputation from now obviously like we've spoken about she's had a pretty sketchy childhood uh, in the sense of certain medical procedures that could have led to a taste for blood um but her husband's was definitely a problem to her. 
in the sense of the amount of time they spent together. Now, they, they spent very little time together in general, but it said that when they did spend time together, they were torturing uh, young girls who lived in the castle, so young servants. These were women under her care, under her protection, and her and her husband would torture them in many different ways. One of these methods would be um, rolling up a, a piece of paper, dipping it in oil, and, and weaving it in between the toes of, of a servant um, and setting that on fire. He even bought her a glove that was, um, I would say, what I would suggest is like Wolverine or, or um, I can't remember his name, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy, um, with the, the claws on the glove that would literally be used just to, to scratch and to, to cut servants who were misbehaving or, or whatever. Now, this in itself is very strange. It was not uncommon to torture servants. Um, but things took a turn for the worst in 1601. And a lady joined the house, a lady named Anna Dalvoya. I don't know if I've pronounced that right, or Dalvoya. Um She was said to have been um, a witch, essentially. So she, she practiced witchcraft. And she got very close with Elizabeth Bathory. And she was a little bit more sadistic than her husband. So instead of teaching her how to torture and how to maim, Anna taught Elizabeth how to kill. Under the guidance of Anna, this is where Elizabeth started to make servants disappear. Now, this didn't raise any questions whatsoever. Nobody cared. These were peasant girls. These were nothing. And no one cared that they disappeared. No one cared that they died. Nobody came knocking. And pretty much she could get rid of whoever she wanted, whenever she wanted. And there was nothing anyone really could do about it. Now, although she was untouchable, it did nothing to stop rumours. Obviously, people going missing was something the peasants would talk about. And although some of these girls were you know, completely disposable and no family or anything like that and no one would come looking. Some of them were, you know, they did have families even though they were peasants and even though they were lowborn. Um, there were people that possibly would ask questions. So she had to take evasive measures and she would call priests up to the castle to perform uh, funerals for some of these servants who had died of cholera as what she would say diseases now cholera was rife in the 1600s and did attribute to many many people dying but um one of these priests actually pulled elizabeth to one side and, and is is quoted to have said your grace should not have acted so because it offends the lord and we will be punished if we do not complain to you and criticize to your grace and in order to confirm that my words are true, we need to only exhume the body and you will find the marks identify the way in which death occurred. In other words, the priest is saying, I don't believe you, 
and if you let me look at the body I can you know I, I, I can believe you but if you're not letting me look at the body I think there's a reason for that and uh, you know she was starting to be looked at when her husband died there was a noticeable change in how sadistic Elizabeth was she started to be a lot worse with the torture the killings became a lot more frequent and you know she she just went into this downward spiral of just killing servants now although these like i said these servants were potentially disposable the problem is she'd have to replace them now she had around 400 serving girls in her court um throughout her throughout her life and she was noticing that obviously when you get rid of one you've got to replace them when you get rid of that one you've got to replace them and so on and so forth so she started to come up with new ways of getting girls to the castle and which ways to murder them she used to lure um girls from the village up to the castle with promise of drinks or or food or anything really that you know could could lure them up there um and then she'd murder them and throw them over the castle walls into the woods for the wolves and and other animals just to to eat the bodies so she was she'd got to a point now where she'd moved on from just the normal killings and was was picking random girls from the streets almost and taking them up to her castle um just to kill obviously Elizabeth didn't do all this on her own. Um, she had obviously Anna Davolia with her. She had um, a friend uh, called Catalin, another one called Dorka, um, and the nursery nurse from uh, from her castle. Obviously, with there being that many people in the castle, they would have a nurse there, and she was also um, an accomplice to Elizabeth. So she didn't do all of these murders single-handedly there was obviously with that many bodies to get rid of uh, she had to have people aware of what she was doing and and on her side as well and whether these women were accomplices in the murders or whether they were too scared to speak out or or what we will never know um but obviously we do know that these women had something to do with these murders elizabeth's torture was as we've spoken very sadistic and some of the things that she did were for very very minor things so these girls weren't just brought in to torture you know her servants were tortured when they made mistakes so for example or one one example that that we know of if uh, a servant girl was uh, sewing or stitching and missed a stitch um then she would stab them repeatedly with sewing needles um, and these were long sewing needles not your little sort of inch ones these were proper sewing needles that you you would have used um, sort of five or six inches long um, and these would be repeatedly stabbed into the girls uh, normally whilst they were naked um, there's evidence of one example where she would put the sewing needles through the fingers the tips of the fingers and push them all the way in um, to their fingers um, and on one occasion she she said to a girl <clears throat> if it hurts the whore you can pull them out um so the girl obviously took that as she could pull them out 
uh, to which Elizabeth then cut her fingers off. So these weren't your normal style of tortures, and if you're anything like me, you were just wincing um, at the fact that needles being stuck down your finger um, sort of makes your skin crawl a little bit. There were many other tortures. Uh, she was known to have bitten the face off one of the girls. Um, a lot of times when these tortures were, were being performed, um, it wasn't enough for Elizabeth to just hurt them. Um, she'd then just snap and say, take them to the dungeons. They'd be taken down. Um, they'd be tortured um, more sadistically and with you know more implements or more tools um, body parts ripped off cut off um, hot pincers used to remove bits of flesh um, you know the bodies cut open with the insides drained out and we know all of this because there were court records and girls who testified after the fact to, to some of this stuff that happened now one of the main things for those of you who have probably heard of Elizabeth Bathory <clears throat> there is quite a great story where she would have virgins brought to her chambers or brought to the, the dungeons um, and had their throats cut and all the blood drained out so she could bathe in the bath of the virgins um, and this would be used to keep her skin youthful or to keep her looking young and, and the, uh, but Throughout all of the court proceedings and everything like that, there was never anything that suggested that was actually true. Um, it's possible that that's just a later story added to to add to make sure people remembered Elizabeth Bathory um, for her sadistic ways. But uh, again, there's no real evidence to suggest any of that ever happened. But we do know that the extensive torture was was definitely there and you know the these girls there was even stories of cannibalism and things like that it was pretty graphic the the court readings by 1609 she could do nothing to stop the rumors of this going on now, the problem is all these girls that were being killed were peasants some of them were lured there some of them were sold to her you know a lot of parents would sell their children to the countess as a way of making money um if that child was to die you know tough they've made their money from the child they weren't really that bothered um it was it was quite a a, a bad time to be in that area but the problem with it was peasants could not take anybody to court they were they had no rights they had no um, ability to take noblemen and noble women to to, to, to seek justice and because of this she just managed to carry on doing what she was doing now <clears throat> a lot of these women were buried in the castle grounds in shallow graves some of them like we said were thrown over the castle walls some were just left out for, for dogs to rip apart and eat and be dug up there was no real they were running out of room <laughs> basically where to put these dead bodies um, after a bit of time. Also in 1609 came the death of her closest friend and, and witch companion, Anna Davolia. Now, with her dying, Elizabeth went into a spiral of loneliness. Um, she Obviously, her children had, had grown up and moved out. Um, 
her best friend had now died her husband had died um she was running out of peasants that she could you know take and kill so she had a bit of a problem on her hands added to this her family had now sort of grown into quite a bit of debt having been one of the more prosperous families during the ottoman wars um and now suddenly found themselves owing money to a lot of people and because of this she decided to open a finishing school for noble women uh, minor nobles not obviously higher nobles but um a finishing school for girls this meant that she could one get an income two carry on her murderous ways but with a higher class of victim and three she was able to do this under the nose of really important people which gives people a little bit more power you know you've got that i know this is sounds a bit silly but i've done a lot of serial killer things and you tend to find that when people are are killing innocents um the power isn't really there but as soon as they start killing people with power it breeds more power so it gives her that sense of achievement or if you can call it that but i would say i would say achievement is the right word she's now got this sense of i'm untouchable killing peasants now i'm killing people that can cause me problems now i'm super i'm i'm super untouchable obviously as i'm sure you can imagine and have worked out these noble men and women were not going to allow their daughters to just die and they took this to the king okay now elizabeth came up with this excuse that one of the girls had gone crazy and murdered some of the others and and then killed herself uh, and obviously they didn't really believe that um they took it to the king and the king did an investigation now he sent gregory thurzo which uh, we mentioned before which is the king's friend who was told to look after elizabeth on his deathbed um he was appointed to look into this which he did he did look into it um and he investigated it and he was a little bit shocked at what he found he found a lot of witnesses a lot of people came forwards and a lot of people spoke about this young girl or this young woman who was out there killing random girls and you know torturing and all of this evidence came forward by october 1610 they'd collected 52 witness statements and by 1611 that number had risen to over 300 on the 12th of december 1610 uh, it was confirmed that she was going to be arrested um and on the 30th of december thruzo went to the castle to arrest bathory along with four of her servants um who were also the accomplices that we spoke about earlier according to thruzo's letter uh, his unannounced visit found one dead girl and another living prey in the castle a prey in quotation marks knowing that this girl had probably been tortured already and was pretty much going to die and although it is commonly believed that bathory was caught in the act of torture um she was actually caught 
having dinner. So she wasn't actually caught in the act, even though there there is a story that suggests she was. Um, initially, uh, Thurzo made the declaration to Bathory's guests and villagers that he had caught her red-handed. Um, however, she was arrested and detained prior to the discovery of the victims. Um, so she, she wasn't actually caught red-handed it seems most likely that the claim of of his discovery was Bathory covered in blood um, had been embellished for uh, fictional accounts now she was arrested and taken to uh, to trial um, and on the 25th of January uh, 1611 Thurzo wrote a letter to King Matthias describing that he had captured and confined Bathory to her castle. Uh, he also coordinated the steps of the investigation with political struggle with the Prince of Transylvania, and she was detained in the castle for the remainder of her life, where she died at 54 years old. Now, the reason she was not, um, not sentenced to death or anything like that was because of the fact that Thurzo had this connection with um, her her late husband. And because he made that promise that he was going to look after her and that she would, you know, he would basically, he promised, you know, he made that deathbed confession that he was going to look after um, Elizabeth Bathory and, and the children. And because of this, he had to he felt like he had to do that because he'd made this this sort of unbreakable vow um and his way of um sort of allowing this to happen was to although he he obviously had to make the arrest but it was to make her not be killed uh, to not sentence her to death my english was terrible there um so that was the plan um and you know he sort of had this idea in the back of his head that this is what he was going to do um, and that he was going to arrest her and, and basically plead with the king to to keep her alive. Um, and like I said, the investigation went to to court. There were there were many witnesses. Um, some girls who'd actually escaped um, Bathory and and you know spoke about their their time there and, and their tortures. And you know that's how we know a lot of the information of of or some of the stories that. That sort of say, you know, this happened, that happened, and and so on and so forth. Um, but because it is something that is um, embellished throughout history, it's um, it's been taken and and extended and added to and had so much more um, done to it to to sort of make you believe that this Elizabeth Bathory was bathing in blood and that she was caught in the act of murder and, and, and a lot of embellishment that was added to the story at later dates. And and this may be why she has become um, sort of the, the, the poster girl for female vampires. Um, and obviously with it being that, that area of, of Europe and the, the Transylvania-Hungary area, which is supposedly the area of, of where vampires originate um she she's sort of been been put into that position so she's a, a very strange person a very uh sadistic evil woman um does go to show that it's uh 
not always men that are that are the sadistic, uh, mindless killers. Um, it can be women too, and you know, in this instance, we we still to this day don't know the number. Um, they reckon it was somewhere between eighty, like I said, and six hundred and fifty. And and if it was the the higher number, I mean, that would make her possibly one of the worst serial killers of all time. So that's the uh, the story of the Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Um, so let me know what you thought about this episode or something a little bit different. Um, I think it was, it, for those of you who are on Patreon, there has been a few serial killer episodes uploaded to Patreon. Um, so this is one that obviously... Uh, we're, we're doing on the normal feed so for those of you who aren't on patreon and if you do like this true crime serial killer vibe um maybe you should uh, get yourselves onto patreon and and join us there for five dollars a month where you'll get access to every single show that we do uh including the extra ones on patreon and every single uh show that we do ad free might I add, these shows do go on air onto Patreon slightly earlier than the normal shows as well, so you don't have to wait as long. Um, there was a technical issue last week with uh, uploading onto Patreon, um, and somebody let me know that the episodes hadn't uploaded properly. Um, that issue has been resolved now, so for those of you who are on Patreon who thought, oh, actually, this was uh, why have I not got these on here? There was a technical issue, it's no longer there, um, and we don't have this problem, so. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you all uh, sleep well um, after hearing that story. Don't have any nightmares, and uh, we shall see you next week. And just remember, guys, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows so you can do this. And this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. 
with an ice cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer, terms apply.